Greet you in Jesus' name this morning. It's good to be here. Seemed like a long time. Two weeks. Maranatha last Sunday. and So it's a blessing to be here this morning. I think we're going to try to finish up our series on what can I realistically expect in my Christian life. Um, so we're going to start with point number nine. Um, realistically, you and I can probably expect that some of our prayers will be answered and some won't be. And uh, sometimes we will understand why they were, and sometimes we'll understand why they weren't, and sometimes we won't understand. Uh, it may take a long time for you to understand, for me to understand. It may take five years or maybe ten years to figure out why God decided not to answer that prayer. Um, but I believe that as as Christians who are seeking God and seeking His will, we have to understand that our perspectives are very, very small and very, very narrow. Um, I ask you this morning, what percentage of knowledge do you have in relation to God? Anybody think 50%? Adventure on one. Now come on. How about a thousandth of one percent? So, uh, next question is how much percent of would your child, would your three-year-old child know in relation to what you know? Just think about it. Five-year-old. Ten-year-old. So do you think that they understand why you say no? They understand that when dad or mom says no, they mean no. (laughs) They should. If they don't, your children are at a distinct disadvantage. And I'm serious, very serious disadvantage. And so we know, we say no to protect our children. I have heard of families where they have a candy drawer and the children can go get candy any old time they want. Anybody here think that's ideal? I'm trying to put you on the spot. I don't. I personally don't. I don't think it's a good deal. It's a disadvantage for the child and obviously it's going to be a dis- financial disadvantage 
and a dental disadvantage uh, for everybody involved. And um, <clears throat> so the possibility exists that God says no because it has something better. Like if he said yes, that you would miss out on incredible amounts of blessing in the future. I thought about Abraham and Isaac, and and I just wondered what happened there the night before they got up and to go, Abraham's going to sacrifice Isaac. You think there's any praying involved? I can't imagine a man of God receiving a message from God that you're supposed to go and kill your son. I mean, especially after he told him he's going to make him like the sand of the sea, right? Whatever. And 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 God tells you 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 got to go, you got to kill him. That there wouldn't be some serious praying going on. And I can't quite imagine. Now, this is my imagination. Now, you have to take it for what it's worth. But I can't imagine. I can't imagine that somewhere along the way that Abraham said, "God, like, could you please, like, figure out a different plan by tomorrow morning." Something's a whole lot better. But he still got up. And I don't, how much more happened that night? But God didn't have another plan. And Abraham, he, he kind of conjured this plan up in his mind that, that this, this has to be God's plan, that, that I'm going to kill my son and then God's going to raise him back up. That that has to be the that has to be the plan, because there's no other way. I mean, you know, it's if I kill him, I kill him, and then that that promise isn't going to be any good. And God's promises are always sure, and so this is the only way it's going to happen is that I kill my son, and then God's going to raise him up, and and then. Turn to Genesis 22. God put Abraham up against the hard one, we would say. Despite whatever the praying may have been. Genesis 22, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of the heaven a second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gates of the enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. A lot about God we don't understand, and we talked about that in Sunday school. Um, 
We don't understand what all is going to happen in Revelation. We don't understand a lot of things. Um, one thing we do have to understand when it comes to prayer is that God is going to give me what is the best for me. If the answer is no, then obviously he has something better. Maybe it's better just for our character. Maybe it's better for our spiritual advancement. It may be better for our, for the people around me. Maybe how how much of my prayers, how much selfishness of my prayers does God have to eliminate by saying no? For the benefit. Jesus said, God, I mean, you know, if, if, if there's some way around us, please. And God said, no. Now, if he'd have said yes, where would you be? And I'd be today. What if God says, Hey, you know, second thought, probably bad idea. I don't like this whole idea of people killing my son anyhow. So we'll, we'll just abort the plan right here. Just what would happen? Number 10. I got to keep moving because I got to finish this up today. So... Uh, sometimes you wonder why God doesn't have his plan for our lives more easily and clearly known. I don't know about you, um, but I tend to be a perfectionist, all right? You know that, and I know You know it's hard to please Dennis, all right? Because Dennis is a perfectionist. And that's not good. That's not a good thing in my character. I see that as character weakness. All right? So, I envy people that sit in the, in the principal's chair at Bible school and there's some kind of something comes up and the principal kind of turns his chair around and matrons and the deans all start come around here and they discuss this little thing and I mean, it's a big thing in their mind, and the principal says, well, this is what we're going to do. And he turns around and goes back to studying, appearing like he didn't even have a second thought. And I'm over there in my chair saying, yeah, but what, what, what if this happens, or what if that happens, or what if something else happens, or what if this... You know, and, and I'm still, I, I, I mean, I'm far from ready to attack anything else. I mean, because I'm still, and this is what we're going to do. Everybody faces sometime in life an extremely difficult decision making. I mean, where we say the chips are down and there has to be a decision made. And the results of whatever that decision is are 
we know are going to have long-term effects. If you haven't hit one like that, if you're serious with God, you will hit it sometime. That is just the fact. And you may be like me, you chase around and you say, you know, it's like, I had I had this idea when I was about 30 that bishops had all the answers, all right? It's the most ridiculous idea in the world. But I did. I, I'm serious. So I had this big decision to make, and, you know, so I get this little this bishop off the side, and I say, you know, this is a problem, and this, this is what I'm facing. Like, tell me what to do. And you know what they say? I can't tell you what to do. You got to decide that yourself. So I said, well, you know, I guess his advice is not too hot, so maybe I'll find somebody who really does know. So I go to somebody else and say, this is what it is. You know, it's like what I'm facing. It's like, what would you do? You know what they said? I can't make that decision for you. That's something you're going to have to slug out between you and God. Just be prepared. Someday that will probably happen to you. And and that's okay. That, that that's good because that 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 increases our faith in God. It increases our trust in God. Increases our ability to move ahead with God. Even even it might be uncertainty. And there's one one thing that I, I guess in my mind and and I guess a flaw in my thinking that that and I'm gonna throw out here just for your uh, just for your consideration is the idea that floats around that there's only one thing that God wants me to do in my life and I have to find that one thing I may be bold enough to say that. Some people have the idea that there's only one lady that God has for me to marry. I would doubt that. Now, he knows. All right. But, but God lets us decide sometimes. I mean, if there's three godly ladies that you know, you would feel as potential partners for your life. They're all godly. They're all within within the perimeter of God's will. Does God say you have to have this one or you have to have that one? He lets us decide some of those decisions. As weighty as they are. You can you can debate that with me, I suppose, after church if you would like. But, but I think sometimes we put ourselves at a disadvantage when, when we think that it can only be one way. God gives us no perimeter or latitude to decide between multiple things that are within his will, within his will of God. I mean, if somebody wants to serve on a mission field, could they go to CM or could they go to Romania or could they go to... There's, you know, there's many, many legitimate places where you can throw yourself into the, the cause of Christ in a mission setting, and I don't know there'll, there'll be. 
I can imagine why God couldn't use the, you know, if if they're the type of setting that God approves of. Number eleven, um, as you age and as you come to maturity, you will recognize that death is a part of life. That is a reality. That is part of who we are. And you also, I also have to understand that death is part of being a Christian. You and I can never be successful as Christians if death is not part of our Christian experience. Paul says, I die daily. I have to die to my sinful carnal desires. I have, dying is part of being an effective Christian. And so death must strike you. We talk about death striking someone. Death must strike you as a Christian Actually, uh, maybe I'd be bold enough to say that maybe we should welcome that because we know that is to our spiritual advantage. And of course, physical death. You and I aren't going to live forever. Someday is going to be my turn. Someday is going to be your turn. And age has very little to do with it. Two years old, five years old, 20 years old, 80 years old. You know, when, when you're 16 or 17 or 18 or whatever, 15, um, uh, a lot of us, I'll include myself, felt pretty invincible. We just felt pretty invincible. You know, you, you could drive your car about as fast as you wanted to drive it, and you would still be alive in the end. I mean, that was some of the mentality that I didn't necessarily officially embrace. But that was something that was at least somewhat socially acceptable in the circles that I was in. Speed doesn't necessarily kill. And, alright, so the invincibility of youth. But, when you get married, and God blesses with you, with you, with a child, and that child gets very, very sick, you will soon find out as a individual that life is extremely fragile. Extremely fragile. It doesn't take much for a baby to die. In reality, it don't take much for anybody to die. And it certainly don't take much for an elderly elderly person to die. I mean, as their health and resistance comes into play and all that. And 
Of course, when we all go to a funeral, that is brought to the forefront, that life is fragile. The toughest funerals that I have ever attended was when I was a young father with children under three or four years old and go to a funeral of a 20-month-old baby. My wife literally had to lead me out of the church. And so, we will be impressed with the, how fragile life is and how important it is that God, that we are God, what God wants us to be. Because rest assured, if you get to be my age and you look back on your life, that will not be very long. Number 12, in your walk with God, and if you're serious with God, and I say this over and over again because a lot of that has to do with how serious you are with God, you will be humbled, particularly as you age, you will be humbled to the fact that God continues and continued and continues to love you and have mercy on you and all the ups and downs that you've faced in life. Um, all right, so we have successes in, in our Christian walk with God. High points, things where we have, we have victory and we have the good things going for us. Reality tells us, because we are human and because we are frail, that we will make mistakes. Okay, so as you go through life... The successes stack up, all right? But in reality, the failures will stack up, all right? As you look back, you will see, as I look back, I will see more failures in my life than somebody on this front bench here, over here. See, they didn't have as much time to make as many mistakes as I did, all right? So that's just the way life is. And so, um, you will be impressed with the love and the mercy of God. And hopefully you will be impressed with the love and the mercy of those around you. And hopefully... When you understand the love and the mercy of God that you and I as individuals can reflect that more accurately to those around us. The patience that God has with us should be reflected in the patience that we have with others. Number 13, you can expect in your walk with God that there will be a segment of people that accuse you of being proud and arrogant for believing that there's only one book to live by, and that's this one right here. And I think 
that pressure. Now, I don't know how things were 100 years ago or whatever, but our, our, our culture seems to be moving in seemingly, at least in my perspective, more into a, a culture that somewhat idolizes tolerance and inclusiveness. Okay, we need to tolerate everybody and we need to be inclusive. Someone said one time, the people that profess to be the most tolerant are the people that are the most intolerant. And you think about that. Alright, so, so we have, uh, for example, the gender issue that is very, very prominent in our culture that says you have to be all-inclusive. But how, how tolerant are those same people to those who believe that the Bible says what it says? They're extremely intolerant. So we have also uh, the issue in our culture of child training. Uh, how you're supposed to raise children. Uh, in my mind, astronomically perverted methods of the way children are supposed to be raised. Um, I don't believe we as God people, we need to be humble. We... Uh, shouldn't be intimidated. Neither should be reckless or should we be arrogant. But we should understand in simple faith and trust in all issues of life, whether they be gender, whether they be child training, whether they be whatever. Accumulation of wealth, uh, all the things, in every facet of life, this book has the answers. And we shouldn't be ashamed of that. We should hold it forth in grace. We should hold it forth in humility. But we should hold it forth. And we should take it serious. Despite what our culture is promoting. And so I would encourage you in that. God's word is the final word. And God's word expects, God expects us to conform our life, choices, things that we do, how we live, to be based in humble submission to what he says. And the last one. Oh, we might even get out of here early today. Wow. That's unusual for this preacher. You will find that your greatest sense of satisfaction will be doing exactly what God asks you to do. That will include serving Him. That will include serving others. Turn with me to John 17. There is tremendous, I, I just love this passage of scripture. And I love Jesus' perspective. Um, you know, 
God sent Jesus, and we don't know much about the first 30 years, a few little bits and pieces here and there. and We know more, we, very extensive, about three years, okay? So his ministry, as we think of it, is three years, three years, which in our perspective is extremely short. I've often wondered, well, why didn't let God let Jesus, I mean, like, you know, we hear people being ordained at 21. I mean, Jesus would have been qualified to be ordained at 17. It wouldn't have been a problem. I mean, you know, he had, he had all the answers and everything. And, and, and so, like, like first chance, you know. So we get Jesus ordained at 17, and, and, and God lets him live to 85, you know. And he, he, could, he, could, he could preach for almost forever, as we think about it. Not, that's in quotes there, but... I mean, long, long, long time, you know, and, and, and maybe, maybe in that period of time that, that, you know, for us, we still have way, you know, a lot more can be done, and, but, but Jesus, because he's who he was, he could get most everything done. You know, if he stayed busy, which he always did. But, John 17, 1. These words spake Jesus, lift up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may, that thy Son also may glorify thee. Thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life, as to many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. In verse four, I, it, it is an incredible verse. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. What a statement. Jesus was facing his move from earth to heaven. When you face your move from earth to heaven, when I face my move to earth to heaven, can I say to God, I have done what you asked me to do. Do I understand what God wants me to do? Is it clear enough that I can move forward in what God is asking me to do? Is the progress in being made in what God asked me to do? So that when I get there, I can say, God, I gave it my best effort. I, I tried to do what you asked me to do. What would it be like? How tragic would it be if I got to the end of life and... I got accomplished what I wanted to do, but sorry, God, I mean, I got kind of sidetracked here. What sense of personal satisfaction? What, what, what sense of accomplishment would it be to do everything I wanted to do and come to the realization, startling realization that somebody else is going to get all that. 
But I'm not going to be a beneficiary of that at all. It's, it's gone. Now we have a song, uh, Must I Go an Empty-Handed, and that's relation to souls won for Christ. I, I, I understand that. But we can go empty-handed in many other ways. Not just in that way. So whatever you and I are engaged in this morning, I ask us together, what kind of spiritual dimension does that have? And if we realistically look at that and say it does not have a spiritual dimension, for example, if I'm a plumber, or a truck driver, or a carpenter, and all I'm doing it for is for the paycheck and for nothing else, it has no spiritual dimension, then I've missed it. I will go empty-handed. And so whatever we're doing, whatever God calls us to do, absolutely must have a spiritual dimension. It must promote a cause greater than something on this earth. It must promote the cause of God, the cause of Christ, or else we're going to be lowered into our grave a total and complete failure. And to me, that's sobering. But you and I have the privilege to feel the approval and the power and the ability to do what God asked us to do and find the fulfillment not only over there but some in some small measure here if God is in it and I can lay down at night and I can say you know what by the grace of God, by the help of God, the kingdom of God has been advanced by the simple fact that God has allowed me to walk this earth on February the 3rd, 2019. So we must conclude... We must conclude, a while back I preached a sermon on the soul of man, and I actually did that last Sunday in Maranatha Bible School. But, but with that perspective, our role here as children of God will, must and will include people. It must. And it will. If we are going to do what God wants us to do. That cannot happen without people being included. And so, in that inclusion of people, then we have, we include ourselves in the successes, the struggles, the accomplishments, the disappointments of those around us. That is what God is calling us to do. Brother 
Gary. I just went really blank there. Said this morning about about brotherhood and about in our Sunday school about brotherhood and how that impacts our lives and how how that is essential in, in, in us making it to heaven. That we're supportive, that we're behind each other, that we're actually doing something. I am actually doing something that encourages my brother, my sister, in their walk with God. It encourages people around me to give their life to Jesus Christ and join the church of Jesus Christ, which is his bride, priceless. It's simply amazing that God would allow you and allow me not necessarily allow, but draw us and and give us the privilege of being part of his program and part of his work. You know what? He had no obligation. But he loved us while we were yet sinners. And I don't have this as a separate point. But brothers and sisters this morning, if you are serious with God, and if you and I are living for God, one of the biggest things you and I can anticipate is approaching that judgment bar of God in those words, the most priceless words that you and I will ever hear, by far the most priceless word that you and I will ever hear, when God says, well done, Thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. You can bank on that. What a day that'll be. Even so, come, Lord Jesus.